sees the world differently. He wants to use the climate change crisis to transform the lives of inner city youth. Born in rural Tennessee in 1968, he was at home in nature with bugs, trees, stars, and God. His companions were X-Men comics, bubblegum, and strategy games. His interests have since expanded to subjects as wide-ranged as African mythology, Socrates, physics, famous speeches, Dungeons and Dragons, and spiritual texts. He left home to get his BA at the University in Tennessee, followed by Yale Law School on scholarship. After a short stint in journalism, Fan founded the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights, naming it after an unsung hero of the civil rights movement. The center addresses human rights abuses in the criminal justice system and res resists the over-incarceration of young people of color in the San Francisco Bay Area. It launched the successful campaign, Books Not Bars, that promotes alternatives to violence in jail. Eventually, Van saw that the politics of confrontation and outrage came with real costs. He said it was depressing to be mad all the time. But then he met Julia Butterfly Hill. He saw that she was able to be uncompromising with her beliefs, but could speak with real love and affection about those she was opposing. He realized you can't lead when you don't love or fight oppression by oppressing others. His leadership in the social justice movement brought him into the environmental community as it reached out to expand its base. But it wasn't something he could take home to his communities who were dealing with life and death issues daily, not the threats of melting ice caps. But there he saw new possibility. Unemployed inner city youth fill our overcrowded prisons while American jobs are being outsourced to countries where people work for slave wages. At the same time, the sky is starting to burn. Our urban areas are decaying, a formula for disaster. Van is taking those problems and transforming them into solutions. His plan is to create green, living wage jobs for inner city youth in order to reverse urban plight, restore the environment, and our national security. The last few months have seen Van's vision spread like fall wildfires. He founded Oakland's Apollo Alliance for Green Collar Jobs as a template for other cities. And after raising a quarter of a million dollars, he heard from Nancy Pelosi, who wanted to use his vision, Green for All, in her energy bill. Then an invitation to present at Clinton's global initiative in New York just weeks ago, where he launched the next phase of his vision. And two days ago, he was featured in the New York Times in an article by Thomas Friedman. Oh, and then I left out the panel he was on with Obama, where Obama said, Van stole the show. And then there's the three leading Democratic candidates who borrowed ideas, slogans, and themes from Van and Ella Baker Center in their speeches recently. Van has emerged as one of the most effective leaders in the progressive world, a great organizer, a gifted communicator, and one of the savviest political thinkers on the current scene. He understands coalition building is the key to advancing a life-affirming agenda. Van embodies focused idealism, 
passion, and clear-eyed realism. I suggest you sit back and open your heart. Fan is a transmission. Please welcome the leader we need for the world we want to leave our children, Fan Jones. I'm back! Hello, uh, environmentalists, uh, spiritual warriors, uh, social justice activists, bioneers. I'm back! I'm back! I'm so happy! Um, well, first of all, I just want to say that um, y'all been busy. What y'all been doing? I was, last time I was on this stage was four years ago, and everything environmental was considered eco-freak, and now it's all eco-chic. Uh, y'all just took over the country. What you do? It's um, <laughs> congratulations. Y'all give yourselves a round of applause. It's unbelievable. <laughs> really unbelievable. Uh, you know, I, from my point of view, honestly, you know, watching this past year you know, with Nobel Prizes going to folks, and uh, uh, both political parties now are trying to be the Green Party, you know, uh, calling our office. Uh, you know, something has happened, and I realize what it is. You people here have decided to annoy your parents <laughs> to death. And now it's working. Uh, honestly, it, I, I had this experience, I'm gonna tell you guys what I'm here for, but honestly, I wanna thank you for what you're doing because it's really made it possible for somebody like myself. I've spent the past 20 years trying desperately to get people to pay attention to what's going on in urban America. I mean, we would call newspapers, we would call television stations, and we would say, you know, kids are dying. Uh, we're going to funerals every other weekend, you know, not interested. We got kids going to school in Oakland. 30 kids in the classroom, six books, no chalk, not interested. You know, police brutality, not interested. Uh, the United States is now the number one incarcerator in the world. Uh, the United States now, 5% of the world's population, 25% of the world's prisoners, mostly black, brown, and poor folks, one out of every four people in the world locked up, locked up in the United States. Not interested. And then we said, well, we want green jobs and not jails for our youth. And they said, green? <laughs> green? <laughs> green? <laughs> Give that man a microphone, you know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I don't understand it, but there it is. And But it's because of you. I figured this out. Y'all act nice. That's y'all's trick. Y'all act like nice people. I see you, you got your little containers with the tofu. I see you. Little yoga mat on the bar, I know you. Oh. 
Y'all not fooling nobody with that stuff no more. Look. I went home for Thanksgiving with one of y'all. We got off the plane. We get, you know, dad comes. Oh, honey, I'm so happy to see you. All that stuff. We get in the SUV to go to dinner. My nice own friend is like, well, dad, very nice SUV. Um, how many miles to the gallon does it get? No, 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 dad, not gas, Iraqi blood. Like how much Iraqi blood has gone into the car? I'm just curious. I'm like, ooh. You know, they go bickering and stuff, and she's like, well, dad, we're fighting a war for oil. I was like, oh, God, God, please don't have this man just shoot us here. My dad would stop the car and just boot me out. So I said, okay. So then she calms down, and when we're driving, because I'm just not going to say anything else. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not here to cause problems. I'm not going to say anything. She's just driving, driving. Just Dad, don't hit that animal. He's like, what, where, where is it? I didn't, I didn't see anything. What was it? What was it? A polar bear. <laughs> Do you know that the greenhouse gases from this SUV are destroying the Arctic? Oh, so look. <laughs> Y'all are vicious, man. So now... <laughs> You know, y'all have been making Thanksgiving awkward for like decades. <laughs> and it's paid off. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and so now, you know, even some random black guy like me can get on TV. It's amazing. So, so y'all. I'm going to be serious now. Y'all have some power now. Y'all have some serious power now. And it's easy when you're powerless to be self-righteous and to talk about what other people need to do and what other people's moral challenges are. But what I want to suggest is that you now have some moral challenges. This movement now has a moral challenge. We together have a moral challenge. The question now has to be asked and it has to be answered. As this movement moves from the margin to the center of politics, from the margin to the center of culture, from the margin to the center of the economy, who are we going to take with us and who are we going to leave behind? Who are we going to take with us? And who are we going to leave behind? That is the central moral challenge that we face. I want to show you a picture of somebody that I hope we will not leave behind. I want to show you a picture. These young men are growing up in West Oakland. They have asthma rates off the charts pollution off the charts. It's right by the port where the cheap goods come in from Asia and then the trucks sit there and idle, 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 idle to take stuff all to Walmarts all around the country. And they sit there and breathe that in. Children walk into school every day with setting off metal detectors when they walk in the building, not because they have a gun, because they have an inhaler, because they have an inhaler. Are these young people a part 
of this green revolution? Do they have a place? This is the question. I want to suggest to you that we have a problem that we can solve. And in solving it, we will not only rescue and redeem the project of this green revolution, but we can rescue and redeem the country as a whole and help to save the whole earth. And that project is this. We have now not just ecological problems, but we have new solutions. We have new products, new services, new technologies. We have solar power now, wind energy, hybrid this, high-performing buildings, organic agriculture. We have the solutions. We have a green wave that's rising. Can we make sure that green wave lifts all boats? Can we make sure the green wave lifts all boats? I say that we can. And I say that in making sure that the green wave lifts all boats, we will not only beat global warming, but we will slash poverty and we will unite this country. And so this talk, brief as it is, is my attempt to share with you my hopes and my dreams and the hopes and dreams of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights and all of our allies and friends for the next step forward in this environmental movement that you have created. And we call this next step forward something we call social uplift environmentalism. Social uplift environmentalism. And in order to help you understand it, I want to show you this grid. Now, how many of y'all see my grid, my chart? Not that many people? Oh, my goodness. This is brilliant. <laughs> I'm telling you, get ready. This is it. This is going to be, you go, woo! And if you want a copy of it afterwards, my friends uh, from the Ella Baker Center are going to be outside the door slinging it at you because we want you to take it, steal it. There's no copyrights in the movement, just copy left. So, <laughs> so leave with it. Leave with it. So here it is. We call this show, show my thing. Oh, yeah. Now, see. Now, look, first of all, you can tell it's brilliant. Why? Because it says the fourth quadrant, right? Now, what does that make you think? What's the first quadrant? See, I got your mind. I got your mind right here. So uh, I, I've done this. I, I call this, this is the PowerPoint presentation Al Gore would do if he was black. Okay, this is it. So here we go. I love that man. So, so I don't have much time, so I had to compress and condense everything that I know onto one slide, which wasn't hard. So, <laughs> so this is how it works. I'm going to build a grid, and then I'm going to walk you through the whole past of the environmental movement and our whole future together on one thing. Watch, here we go. Okay, so it used to be, you may remember this, it used to be that when we talked about uh, the environmental movement, we always talked about what we call the gray conversation, the problems. Uh, everything is going down. The polar bears is dying, and the rainforest is being destroyed, and the pollution is coming, and we're all going to die. Would you please join my group? <laughs> right? Where are you going? Why, why are you leaving? I should say this much louder, apparently. We're all going, yeah, like that, so no. So, so we started to learn that we should actually start talking about the solutions. And this is now the conversation, the green conversation. 
about all the positive stuff that's coming. And this is the dynamic that has Vanity Fair all excited and all the people elated, and that's great, but there's a missing dimension. And that missing dimension is what we call the rich to poor dimension. Now, this is the axis of race, of wealth, of, of gender, uh, all, the kind, all those things we don't like to talk about. But when you put that axis on there, it gives you this grid. And this grid has four quadrants. Now, in order to fill this grid in, I need a little bit of participation from y'all, we also have to rely on gross and vulgar stereotypes, okay? So let's just play along, and then in the end, we'll clean it all up. But <laughs> if we were doing the gross and vulgar stereotype game, when rich people, affluent people, people who have houses and cars and things like that, when they are reading their Sierra Club magazines <laughs> and they say, the environment, oh, the environment. <laughs> the environment's terrible. What kind of issues are they talking about? What issues are animating their concern? The rainforest, right? Whales. Whales, dolphins, huh? Charismatic megafauna. Somebody has heard this before. <laughs> You're messing me up. So you can't give, y'all are too fast. You can't give the same presentation more than one. Okay, so, well, what it is here is, you know, maybe polar bears, right? Drowning because of global warming, right? That's the kind of almost emblematic right now. Now let me ask you a question. Are the people who are focused on this right or wrong? Okay, look, this is Bioneers. Are the people who are fighting to save innocent species from being wiped off the earth <laughs> right or wrong? Okay, thought I was at the wrong conference. Okay. <laughs> Work with me. Okay. So <laughs> they're right. Right? They're right. And let me tell you, if somebody, in case somebody here is confused, there are two reasons that they're right. Number one, if you just want to be greedy and selfish, when these guys go, we're next. Okay? When the polar bears go, we're next. When the rainforests go, we're next. Okay? So if you just want to be greedy and selfish about it, thank goodness somebody is trying to prevent us from being next. But it's deeper than that. These are beautiful beings. So beautiful creatures. Many of them were here long before we got here. And we have no right to push them into extinction. And so thank goodness that people are fighting to defend the rights of these other species to be here with us. Now, having said that, if I go from the rich part of town across the street down to the poor part of town, all right, now we're going to the poor part of town. If I go and knock on the door in West Oakland or Watts or Newark and I'm like, uh, excuse me, got a big problem here. Uh, what, what is it? What, what's going on? What's, what's happening? We got to save the polar bears. <laughs> Are they going to join my group? Because when they say, in the poor part of town, the environment is terrible. What are they talking about? Air, yeah, air water, uh, uh, pollution. Yeah, uh, violence, crime. 
Yeah, yeah, y'all been there, I guess. It's terrible, you know, bad stuff. Uh, they're talking about asthma. They're talking about cancer clusters. They're talking about uh, 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 birth defects. They're talking about learning disabilities. If, and if they're talking about global warming, they're not talking about polar bears drowning because of global warming. If anything, they're talking about people drowning because of global warming. That's Katrina. Okay? Now, now, are they right or wrong? They're right. Wait, wait, wait. Aren't they narrow-minded? Don't, don't they need to be shown the big picture? Aren't they just being parochial? No. They're right. Well, let me tell you. You just made yourself 20 times smarter than the entire environmental movement. Because for the past 20 years, the mainstream environmental movement, which is the upper, uh, the first quadrant, and the environmental justice movement, which is the people fighting around those fence line pollution and poison issues, have been having to battle who's right and who's wrong. And we have had now 20 years of a racially segregated environmental movement. And it is, it is a moral disgrace. Uh, both are right. Both are right. And both deserve to be supported. And we should stand together on that. Well, as we're now moving into the new century, the same dynamics begin to happen. When wealthy people, again, gross stereotypes, but when wealthy people, affluent people, start talking about environmental solutions. We've got wonderful environmental solutions. Wonderful environmental solutions. What are they talking about? Priuses, right? What? Yo yoga mats, solar panels? What? Bamboo something? Yeah. Wow. Right? All stuff I'd never heard of before. Uh, Talking about Whole Foods, uh, we call it Whole Paycheck, because you can't even get out of there without leaving your whole paycheck. So, solar panels, right? Solar panels, that's the, that's the icon. I, I put solar panels on my second home, you know, like that. Um, now, I mean, now again, are the people who, again, gross stereotypes, we, can all, we love each other, we can play with each other. Now, are, but are they right or wrong? They're right. Now look, somebody's saying, but that's promoting consumerism. We know that. We, but in general, in general, right, is it, it's better for people to be investing in this stuff and buying this stuff than the alternative. In other words, this third quadrant is a quadrant of business opportunities for rich people and consumer choices for affluent people. And business opportunities for rich people and consumer choices for affluent people. And thank goodness, right? Because we want wealthy people to invest in projects and in products that will help the planet and not hurt the planet. And when people are gonna buy stuff, we want them to buy stuff that will help the planet and not hurt the planet. So this is a good thing. But, right, when you go back to the poor part of town, the low-income part of town, what about the people who can't afford a hybrid? What about people who are barely struggling to get bus fare? Do they have a place? What is the place of people who are struggling just to be living indoors at all, even as renters? What is the place of low-income people in this green economy? That is our question. And what we say is this fourth quadrant, that is uh, People's Grocery right there. Give a round of applause for People's Grocery West Oakland. Doing it, doing it. 
This is where the hope for a full, robust environmental agenda shows up. Because this is the quadrant where we begin to deliver the benefits of the green economy to low-income people. Uh, where we begin to deliver the wealth benefits, as was just discussed here, uh, the health benefits, and the work benefits. This is the quadrant of what we call green collar jobs. Green collar jobs. And I want to make a case. Let me show a picture of my, my beautiful, there it is. That's another beautiful picture from People's Grocery. Um, and give a round of applause to People's Grocery and Sustainable South Bronx and the Green Workers Co-op, the people who are on the front lines, who are on the front lines of this new environmental revolution. The good thing about a green college job, number one, you teach a young person how to put up a solar panel. That young person is on the way to becoming an electrical engineer. They can join the United Electrical Workers Union. That's a green pathway out of poverty. You teach a young person how to weatherize a building so it doesn't leak so much energy. That young person is on their way to becoming a glazer. They can join a union. That's a green pathway out of poverty. Uh, the good thing about a green collar job is it can't be offshored or outsourced. You can't put a building like this on a boat, send it to India or China, have them weatherize it, put a solar panel on it, send it back. You can't do it. It don't work that way. That's not how the green economy works. And God bless India and China. We want their, them to do well economically. We also want to make sure that people here can have dignified work. So uh, it's, it's a good thing. The other good thing about the green economy is if you get people in on the ground floor, if you get them in on the ground floor, what it means is those young people today might be installing a solar panel, but it's a growing industry. In a couple of years, maybe just two years, they'll be a manager. And maybe in three or four or five, they'll be an owner themselves or a contractor. Okay. So you're talking about building a green economy that's strong enough to lift people out of poverty. A green economy strong enough to lift people out of poverty. And I would say that the moral challenge that we face is to do that. Now, when I testified in front of Congress, Congress on this, that sounds crazy. I testified in front of Congress. See, y'all doing something. If I testified in front of Congress, y'all doing something. But when I testified in front of Congress on this, um, afterwards, People told me, well, we, we like your ideas. Democrats, we like your ideas. But here's the problem with your ideas, Van. If you have, fine, green collar jobs, that's great. If you, but if you take one of these guys you're talking about, who's been on the street corners, who's not job ready, it's going to cost $10,000 a person to train that guy for a job or train that, train that young woman. We could take the same $10,000, Van, and we could train five people who are already job ready and have them out there. So how can you justify saying that we got to now spend $10,000 per person training your folks when we could train others for cheaper? And I said, you know what? You don't understand. This is a green economy. And in a green economy, you don't just count what you spend. You count what you save. You count what you save. And what you've got to understand is that when you give that young man or that young woman that extra support, when you take the people who most need work and connect them with the work that most needs doing, when you do that, you save. If that young person were to not get that training and 
get in trouble, you got to spend thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year for that person in prison. You got to spend more money for the children that they leave behind. You don't. You, you save that young person's life. You save a whole bunch of money, and you save the soul of this country. Is what you save when you invest and give people a chance, and give people hope, and give people opportunity. It's a green economy. It's a green economy. I said we don't have any throwaway species. We don't have any throwaway resources. But we don't have any throwaway children, and we don't have any throwaway neighborhoods. And it can be done. And I want to show you the most beautiful picture in American politics from the Solar Richmond Project. Check this out. It can be done. It can be done. It can be done. These young men now are employed. They got up every morning. They spent nine weeks with the Solar Richmond program. They had to learn that nine o'clock means nine o'clock. They had to learn how to use tools and they had to transform themselves. But it used to be in the old gray pollution-based economy that it didn't have jobs for people, didn't include people. It used to be that these folks were seen as the villains. These are the villains. These are the bad guys. We got to hire a bunch of police. We got to have more prisons because these are the villains. In this green economy, in this green economy, you are looking into the eyes of the ecological heroes, the ecological heroes. If we give them the tools and the training and the technology, they can retrofit a nation. They can retrofit a nation. They can, they can, re we can weatherize millions of buildings, put up millions of solar panels. They can save their own lives and their own children. And we have the obligation to do that. Now, in closing, let me say this. When you look back at the civil rights movement that we get so dewy-eyed about, I hate to tell you this, the buses that people were beaten to try to integrate were not biodiesel buses. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't biodiesel buses. Uh, when they were trying to integrate the lunch counters, the sandwiches they ordered, were not organic tofu sandwiches. <laughs> they weren't. Uh, the schoolhouse they were trying to integrate was not a green building. But people poured their blood out on the ground in this country to integrate, yes, even a pollution and poison-based economy. People poured their blood out on the ground to integrate a pollution and poison-based economy. What should you and I be willing to do to make sure that the green economy that we're birthing with our own hands and our own efforts has a place in it for everybody. Let's do whatever it takes to make sure that the green wave lifts all boats. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.